Well, there we go. I believe we're live. It says live in the corner of the screen. I'm assuming that is all the case. Um, most people spend the first five minutes going testing, testing, but we're not going to do that. We're brave. We're going to soldier on. Hello and welcome to the Ski Podcast Live Q&A with Graham Bell, who currently is below me in a very um, uh, university challenge kind of way. Hi, Graham. Hi. But more importantly than Graham, we're joined by Ian Martin, the co-host of the Ski Podcast. Hello, Ian. How are you? Yep, yeah, so that's gone well. Ian is definitely there. I think he's just uh, enjoying the conversation I'm bringing to the show. He's just going to listen to me and Graham talk for the next hour. Um, we are sponsored by Switzerland Tourism, which is very exciting. If you're going to go to Switzerland um, skiing, it's definitely the right thing to do. I'm going to ask Graham later on. He won't know about it. I'm going to ask him where his favourite resort in Switzerland is because um, that will please our sponsors. I'm definitely going to do that. Uh, as I said already, it's a live Q&A. So if you've got a question that you want to ask Graham, um, or even if you want to ask me a question, which you probably don't, then you can do that by putting it in the comments below. And um, either me or Ian will read it out and put it to Graham as the show progresses. So pop them in the comments in the comments below where I am. Okay. So, but you don't really care about the waffle I've got. Let's talk about the man who's here, but we're here to talk. He's the face of British skiing. He's the, the UK's premier person to go to if there's a ski programme. I think he's probably been on every single ski show since, what, 1990-something? Clearly researched that uh, statistic there. All right, it's Mr Ski Sunday himself. Graham Bell, how are you, and what is your favourite ski resort in Switzerland? Right, OK, I've got three um to kind of go with to start off with i'd go with uh, andermatt which is where i skied, I skied uh with uh, when i was training when i was young it's a really good resort for off-piste uh, i'd go engelberg or zermatt would be my my kind of uh, top three uh engelberg amazing for off-piste really really uh, uh great free ride terrain and Zermatt, obviously, with the Matterhorn, also got some really good uh, off-piece skiing, some really good challenging skiing as well. And it's got the glacier. Um, I think just for, for, for kind of pure chocolate box and tick everyone boxes, it's got to be Zermatt. There we go. Well, that is, um, that is our con contractual obligation over. Thanks for helping us introduce the show. Over to Ian, who will start the show in mo a more professional way, I'm sure. I don't know about that because I lost uh, I lost you just when you were kicking off then. But um, it was good. You might try see if you can see if you can hear this. Do you get booked for many weddings DJing in? <laughs> yeah, you can, I don't know how you can tell. Recognise the music. We all, we all like it. We've got a few questions about Ski Sunday, uh, Graham, that have been sent in by uh, different people. Uh, I think the, the one to start off with, I think I asked you this before once uh, upon a time, but um, Helena Taylor asked, how did you film those opening titles? Because she always looks at those and she's, uh, she's constantly amazed. Um, <laughs> this is when you two... You haven't seen them. You jump out of a helicopter and uh, end off, uh, end up parapunting off a cliff. Now I'm guessing maybe that didn't happen, but you can tell us if uh, that's right or wrong. Yeah, there was some CGI involved when when Ed Lee start, got involved in uh, Ski Sunday for the very first time back in 2006. Uh, we needed, we decided we wanted some new titles for the show uh, because we wanted to try and take it, you know, away from just being purely ski racing. So we filmed them in New Zealand. Uh, because Ed was living in New Zealand at the time, and we had a camera, and he had a, a cameraman, Chris Kirkham, who was uh, working with him down there, uh, a really good follow cameraman. And so it was actually quite a cheap option. Uh, it was just me and a producer that had to fly to New Zealand. Uh, and so we filmed the original titles back in 2006. And then, um, oh, what year was it we refilmed? I think it was something like 2015, we refilmed them. Um, and we had a bigger budget, so we got some CGI involved. And uh, yeah, there is definitely CGI, uh, but we did actually jump off the skids of the helicopter. Um, right. So that bit with the jump off the helicopter was real. Uh, and uh, 
it took us, that was the hardest thing to do actually, because it's quite difficult to jump from a, a stationary object. Uh, and normally if, you, if you're skiing off a drop or a cliff or something, you've got forward momentum. Uh, when you just drop like off a diving board, you, you fall instead of kind of fly. And that makes it really difficult when it comes to landing because you just land straight down. You've got nothing to cushion the impact. Uh, so we we ate it quite a few times. Uh, we needed to take a lot of time to kind of get the angles right. And I was stood behind Ed on the skid and I was holding on to the back door. Um, and the back door, if you've been in a helicopter, the, the doors actually come off. You can take the doors off the helicopter. So the door's all wobbly like this. And the rotor, the rear rotor is about, I don't know, six feet away and it's whirring around, kind of around about head height. I can't hear anything. Ed's communicating with the pilot who's got the producer and cameraman on the radio and kind of communicating with hand gestures and shouting. And then he's just counting me in with hand gestures. Uh, but whenever we would fly up to a ridge kind of sideways and we'd get ready to drop. And then if there was a gust of wind, the helicopter pilot would then pull up and all of a sudden we'd be like kind of you know, 50 feet up in the air. And obviously not dropping from that kind of height, but yeah, it was uh, it was a difficult one. Um, and then there's various other different CGI bits. Uh, the bit where Ed goes into the half pipe, and there's the skier, which is actually yeah. Martin Bucken, uh, and then there's another snowboarder, Kiwi snowboarder. I can't remember his name, and they all go over each other at the same height. That was CGI'd. Uh, basically, they did they did all the, the tricks on the half pipe, and then we overlaid them on top of each other. Um, that bit was CGI. The bit where I get overtaken by the the, the GS skier. It was a young um, uh, Kiwi GS uh, alpine skier. Uh, that was all real, um, except that I'd hurt my ankle um, like a couple of days before doing the the big mountain stuff, and so my oh, what did I, I hurt my right ankle. So my my right footed turns were terrible. I was having to do them on my inside ski. And but I could only really do the left-footed turns, so we made the t the pass on a left-footed turn. But my right ankle was it was wasn't in great shape. Um, and, and how did you film the bit at the end where you go over the cliff there? Or yeah, so who no, goes? It was just pure CGI. So there's there's a cutting point. We skied really close to the edge of the cliff. Um, Ed's wife was actually up on the mountain with us when we we found that shot and we skied to the edge of the cliff. And I was the one that was calling when we would turn and when we would you know, like stop. And I left it pretty late, so late that Sean actually screamed quite loud. Uh, so in the, in the actual rushes, you could hear her screaming because she thought that we were just straight off this cliff. Um, but then it cuts very slightly to a shot of me from a ski tip camera. And that's the cut point that then goes to the CGI of, of the two guys going off the cliff. That's, that's, that was the end bit was CGI'd. So that was it. And it was all, yeah, filmed out in New Zealand. Uh, it cost us so much money that uh, we got uh, told off, or the producer got told off by the BBC uh, for spending so much money on a title sequence. But we've used it, well, it must be six years old now. So we've actually got good value for money. Uh, and, and a lot of the money went on the CGI rather than the actual filming. So, Can uh, I ask, Graham, in terms of um, Ski Sunday, how... How deeply involved are you? Do you just literally turn up and do your job, or are you more hands-on in the, the production role? Um, obviously, if we've got ideas, then we all kind of we're all feeding in basically different ideas to the production team uh, about what we should be featuring. You know, keeping an eye on what's going on. Um, yeah, um, there's certain areas like you know when I do the course run, ski down the course with a camera. Um, I'm the one that's kind of researching all the new technology, and I have been doing that for years. Uh, it's much easier now that I just use GoPro. Um, it's much, much easier than it was. But I was, you know, working with all these little tiny bullet cameras back in, um, you know, pool. it would have been, a, yeah, so early early 2000s, um, but way, well before GoPro existed, and uh, filming and, and, and you know, commentating on the way down. So, yeah, there's different, you know, everyone has different inputs, um and you know it's a small team and uh yeah so everyone brings what they can bring to the show because we have we have a question from a mr will ss is that right ian <laughs> <Am> I... 
because he, he no. wants to know if can you put some moguls in it next time he says can we get more moguls in it um gb team gb's mogul success was great last year yeah can we have some more please yeah we're getting some good results in uh in uh in in moguls and yes um yeah we you know it's definitely within our remit to uh to stick moguls in and yeah that'd be pretty cool i mean i would you be doing that were you Doing, going down the mobile course beforehand. <laughs> that would be definitely one for a helmet cam. I think my back may not be able to take it. It's pretty. Uh, Hi, Graham Bell's wife. <laughs> hey, Graham, can I ask a question? Uh, the, point uh, the, the point of view shots. You know, uh, I think um, I remember in the last season, actually, Ed asked you. Or someone, a viewer, had sent in a question: How much longer uh, do you think you'll be doing them? Do you think there's a there's a? I mean, is there a point where you're not doing them? Because throwing yourself, yeah, even if you're kind of not going to go down those races, is pretty challenging. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a point where I'm going to have to to basically hang up my race boots and and not do it anymore. And you know, whether I make that decision or that decision is made for me, um, I don't know. I mean, it might be that. You know, I get hurt. Touch wood, I won't. But you never know, um, and I won't be yeah. able to really do it anymore. Or, or they'll stop me from doing it. I don't know. So, until that point comes, I'm just going to keep going. And if I feel like I can do it, then I'll keep doing it. I mean, Who's going to replace you? Who can possibly replace you? Well, there's, there's plenty of people who can do that. You know, um, I'm not sure if uh, Shemi wants to do some of the women's uh, uh, races. You know, yeah. Good okay. luck. Good luck. <laughs> it must be quite exciting, though, because uh, you obviously, you know, race for many years and we'll come on to the racing side of things. But, you know, getting to the, you know, how long before the actual start of the race do you go down there? Because I think on the shots, you know, the whole crowd is at the bottom. Yeah. So it's 15 minutes before the start. Uh, the first POV goes. And there's normally there's normally three. Uh, there's a slot for three POVs, basically, point of view. Right. Skiers. And. One of them is normally taken up, or was normally taken up by Hans Klaus, uh, ex-Austrian team racer, who filmed it for ORF, for the TV. But I hear that he's retired, that he's no longer doing it, um, and he's decided to hang up his race boots. So I don't know who they're going to use next year. Um, it's funny that, you know, you go to some races and you'll have to kind of, you know, barter for, for spots to get a POV run. And, you know, Olympic Games is really difficult to get, and World Championships is difficult to get a POV run because there's so many uh, broadcasters who want to send their cameraman or their ski cameraman down. Uh, but then you go to Kitzbühel and the Hanenkamm, and there's only really the two of us, and no one else really wants to do it, which I find quite bizarre. But <laughs> well, does yeah, everyone cheer quite... when you arrive at the bottom? Is it like old times? Are they like, yeah? Sometimes you do get a cheer, and sometimes that you know. Um, I have actually heard uh, the stadium announcers, um, you know, giving it some chat. Oh, it's just Graham Bell from the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> you can just, uh, like, sometimes if you go over the houseberg, uh, you're in the air and you can hear the, um, the, the stadium announcer at that point while you're actually racing, which is quite cool. I used to be, while I was racing, I, I could hear the stadium announcer at that point. And you kind of kind of judge by his level of excitement as to how how you reckon you were doing at the intermediate time. Okay, not so much you can do by by that point uh, though. Um, I think regular uh, listeners to the uh, podcast will know when we interviewed you back in the uh, really early days of lockdown, you did your own POV. Well, presumably in the house you're in at the moment, yeah. all the way down from the top floor to the ground floor. I, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to give it a go and see if we actually just show uh, people who are tuning in just now how that went. So um, we'll see whether my internet will uh, will hold up. If we're lucky, it'll work uh, uh, like this. So this is the, the legendary house and car, yeah. I believe you described it. Back in March, I filmed this. Here we Out go. Of the out of the attic! It's a two and a half meter drop. It's a two and a half meter drop. Onto a completely flat landing. Round the carousel. And down. This is the steep end. 
This is the steeper. Oh, that's not working. Sorry. <laughs> Approaching the fastest part of the course now. This a couple of tight turns set you up and then straight down towards the finisher and across the line and the crowd go absolutely wild oh, oh, the commentary. Commentary. let's get let's this race underway yeah well oh, there we go um, shows how much you missed yeah, so that's yeah. So I filmed that, uh, and I just kind of stuck it up on Instagram, and it went up on on the Facebook as well. And it was basically the, the uh, very early days of of lockdown. I'd only just driven back from uh, from the last point I ended up before we were all sent home, which was was Valdi's air. And uh, you know, I was kind of feeling, um, you know. I, you know, nervous about the whole thing about you know. Bit, Corona hadn't really hit the UK at this stage, but we'd been kind of uh, skiing had been shut down, and you know I, I kind of my 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 mental state was kind of you know one of massive disappointment that the ski season had finished, and you know now you know having seen what's happened and you know and, and kind of the whole kind of effects of of, of the disease, then you know um, I maybe wouldn't film that, but. At the time, it was just like, okay, well, I can't ski, so I'm going to do this instead. And uh, yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was just a little distraction, really, um, to kind of get over. Well, it was a little distraction. I think it got a sort of half a million views in the end, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it did quite well. So yeah. <laughs> but it was just basically just, just kind of taking the piss, really, and just trying to do what I would normally be doing. So I was thinking, well, what would I normally be doing? It's like, well, I'd be normally skiing down a mountain um with a camera commentating so just tried to do it at home i actually cut a pair of skis i know i took them off my i've got a, a ski chair outside and the skis are cut in half and i took um like two halves of a ski and put some bindings on and then um yeah the way we went <laughs> I don't think you need to be sad it. about it, Graham. I think everyone had to do stuff when coronavirus happened. Like I was, I felt like almost bereaved. There was bereavement going. The season had ended, and I had another month and a half skiing outside, and I couldn't do it. So yeah. I think what you did was the right thing because it cheered everyone up. And yeah, yeah. I think that was the whole point of everything everyone was doing. You didn't yeah. sing. You didn't sing. Believe, which was absolutely fine. That would have been the worst thing you could have done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is there is that, but yeah, but now now it's all kind of you know kind of it's you know the whole coronavirus and the lockdown and you know it's been really really tough on, on a lot of people. I mean, I've I've actually had it quite lucky, easy where I live. You know, I've got lots of opportunities to get outside and train and and yeah. I mean, my whole summer has basically been wiped out. I've got no work, um, but um, you know. I've not lost anyone. Touch wood. Not lost anyone close to us. And uh, and you know, I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, um, I found that throughout lockdown, it's always it's been about nostalgia. So I'll bring in a nostalgic question for you, Graham. How do you feel skis have changed? This is from a um, friend of the show, Dave Burrows. Um, he says, "How have skis changed since you've raced?" Um, and also, like uh, the the second part of the question is. Is there a pair that you really, really miss um, that you used to have that you'd still like to ski on? Is there an old pair that you'd just really love to have back, other than the ones you skied down from the attic on? Well, uh, in fact, because I used to race on the same brand of ski as, as my brother, uh, Martin, um, we used to pull our skis together and we got one really fast pair given to us. Uh, Martin had won a training run in Bad Clan Kierkeim. And Fisher had come up to him and said, listen, use this pair in the race tomorrow. And they were brand new and never, ever skied on them before. Didn't know what they would turn like. 
Uh, and so he said, no, I, I can't take that risk. I want to use a pair that I've skied on. So I used them. I um, just you know, took the risk and I used them. Yeah, like, yes, please. Free skis. Yeah. Thank you. I'll take them. And we'd have, you know, we would have maybe, I don't know, 12 pairs of downhill skis between the two of us. Um, and we'd kind of, you know, we'd, they'd all be running. They'd all be good for different snow conditions. Uh, but you knew a fast pair was, you know, a fast pair. And you try and protect those pair for, for the races and stuff. And so I used them and I got 10th in, um, in Loikabad in the World Cup. And then because Martin was ranked higher than me, he used them in the next uh, race in Schladming and was eighth in Schladming. And then he used them in the Olympic Games and was eighth in the Olympic Games on them. Um, and then he managed to break them in, uh, in Val Gardena the following season <laughs> in the race. When he broke his thumb, he also broke our fastest pair of skis. And just to add insult to injury, it was the first race that I beat him in in World Cup. Because although he crashed on the finish jump and breaking the skis, he did actually record a time as he went across the line. And he I came saw that video earlier. He, yeah. like, he ended up 22nd or something. And I came down and I was 11th. And, uh, yeah, he was trying to work out whether I would have beaten him or not. Had uh, I think I would have beaten him. Because uh, we freeze framed the the video on the very last gate just before he crashed, and I'm pretty sure I was ahead. But so yeah, not not completely. How much have skis changed? Well, massively because I quit in '98, which is before the the real the big revolution of of carving skis, uh, which hit in around about uh, 2000. They were already starting to come in. I remember. And Kneissel had a pair that was that uh, that guys were using in giant slalom. Like it was ridiculous. I think Ross Green was using a pair of Kneissel in giant slalom. And when it was really turning, these you know these skis you could really arc them over. And I was thinking, wow, is that is that the kind of you know is this the future of it? And uh, yeah, so basically around about that period, late nineties, early two thousands, um, we'd already had the introduction of the. Uh, of the twin tip, which kind of revolutionized new school freestyle. Um, fat skis got invented and um, carving skis or parabolic skis got invented at about the same time. And a lot of it uh, we can thank snowboarding for because a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff that, that the ski manufacturers did was a response to what snowboarders were able to do. So the fat skis were in a response to the way that snowboarders could, uh, to, could ride powder. Um, Twin tips were a response to the way snowboarders could ski halfpipe and, and you know and and slope style, and um, and the carving skis actually the alpine snowboards with the with the angles that you get on an alpine snowboard, and the, the it was all about the, the torsional stiffness of the ski because if you make the, the the tip and the tail wider, you've got to make the torsional stiffness better as well, and once they cracked that, then that was the, that was the ski revolution. Um, but the most recent revolution has been a boot one. So the boots have changed. In the last 10 years, boots have changed. Um, and the, the boot technology has improved dramatically. Uh, they, they don't look any different, but the plastic is so much more different. And it's, you know, the function uh, of it is just, you know, and the weight of it is, is massively different. So there you go. What, about, what, what yes. about now, Graham? Like, if I was on a chairlift now and um, I wanted to nod to my, the mate next to me to impress him, go, same pair as uh, same pair of skis as uh, Graham Bell. What are you? What 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 do you put on your feet now? Well, I I I'm of the uh, I'm 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 lucky because I I tend to drive. You out. just go to ski set like everyone else, right? No, I drive out for the winter and I take I take probably four pairs of skis, a snowboard, and uh, three pairs of ski boots with me for the season. Um, the race boots, obviously, I only use my. 170 flex race boots i generally only use them for for, for doing the course runs on i've got a pair of uh, 210 super g skis which again are for the course run um i've got um uh a pair of kind of uh in between slalom and gs skis uh the redsters the green redsters the x9s uh they're really good for kind of carving around on piste and you can carve at slow speeds on them as well so they're good for teaching um, and you know they're just fun for for blasting around on the on the slopes if there's no powder. Uh, and then I've got a pair of 107 um, uh, Vantage powder skis, 
that I've got touring bindings on um, that I use for, for powder and off-piste. So I, I tend to go for the option of, of using two pairs and deciding on the conditions which pair I'll, you know, I'll take um, out of the, of the bag or out of the roof box. Fair enough. I actually just had a message and someone wants me to rewind back. You said snowboard. Yes, snowboard. Is this true? I never knew. I never even in my wildest of dreams imagined that Graham Bell would um, be a snowboarder. Um, out of 10, how, how much do you rate yourself as a good snowboarder? <laughs> Basie level one. Basie level one. That's all right. Yeah. What's your best trick? Oh, I can just about spin the 180. That's about it. You know, do you I, go riding with Ed? And does he give you tips? And is he embarrassed? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the good thing is that Ed, uh, you know, Ed is there to ride with, and you know, if I do get to go out on a snowboard, um, yeah, you've got someone immediately there who's giving you, you know, little pointers and the bits of advice, and you know, teaching me to do the Euro carve, which is which is a or the reverse Euro carve now, the heel side Euro carve. Do I don't know what these are. They sound tricky. When your body's kind of like flat on the slope and you kind of oh like, yeah it's like you're falling over in fact your edge is just about gripping on and still turning around but yeah season if the if the if the snow conditions are a bit shit and a bit slushy and you know and you're skiing you know if i'm skiing with a family and we're not skiing that fast uh it's much more it's better to kind of like just for messing about on finding little side hits on the side of the slope um you know not you're not necessarily blasting around the mountain at speed you're just kind of messing about and so you can do that i can do that and i can still get enjoyment out of the day um with people who are skiing very slowly uh, and i'm still i'm still having fun messing about basically i think that's kind of reason why i started skiing because i used to snowboard and then I'd hang around with people who were a lot um who were skiing or you know and i was like well if i ski then i can go with other people slowly because i'm not quite as uh, competent as i am so it's good to sound like you do like normal things on this show as well yeah i mean it's like it's, it's finding something that you know that's pushing your level of ability so that you're always trying to learn and you know on skis obviously you know i'm, I'm going to have to kind of go a bit harder and a bit faster and find something a bit more you know, challenging in order to, to learn. Whereas on snowboarding, snowboarding, you know, I spend the whole day riding with Sarah, my, my missus, uh, and spent the whole day riding switch and she didn't even notice. So, <laughs> yeah, you don't know I was riding switch. No, I just thought you were on a snowboard. Right, well, Ian, Ian started texting me now. He says, I've got too many questions. It's your turn, Ian. <laughs> Now, I've got a question. It's actually from um, uh, Keith Webb, who sent in this question before, and he said, who's the best skier you've ever skied with? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm old enough to have raced against Franz Klammer. Um, right. That's yeah. Cool. Um, I raced against Klammer in uh, in. Kitzbühel in 85. We, in fact, we both we both crashed on the first gate um, back in 85. Although he didn't. Ah. He lost the ski, I crashed. Um, yeah, so Herman Meyer. Graham, Graham, can I pause you there? Can I pause you there? Because I've got a feeling I might be able to um, show that uh, just now. Let's see oh, if, right. if I can uh, make this work. Um It feels a bit like when the teacher's trying to put a movie on at school yeah. and they're, they're there yeah. really close to the remote. Well, so this is like the second time. The first time I raced in Kitsville was 84. And yeah. I broke my thumb in the training run, didn't get to race. The second time I raced was this, 85. And... Well, here's Graham Bell, the younger of the two brothers. 216.23 yesterday for a 49th place. Elder brother Martin, of course, already gone, losing a ski at that point, and Graham's done the same. It's a British Bell double. Well, both exactly the same, except for Graham. 
has fallen where Martin stood up on one knee. Well, yeah, I felt like I must have, there was a double downhill and I must have got a result the day before. Uh, so that was actually my third time racing kids pool. The second time I actually made the finish, uh, but it was a double downhill and in the, that was a Saturday race and that's what happened. Broken collarbone. Yeah, you looked like you hurt your shoulder there. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, collarbone. Four weeks You off. broke your collarbone? Yeah. Right. Should have got it pinned really. Like nowadays they'd have just put a bit of metal in and I could have been racing in a couple of weeks, but took me four weeks to recover from that and I missed the world championships. Okay. I've got another question about uh, racing. Do you think, you know, it's obviously dynamic, uh, you know, skiing. We've got the Beijing Olympics coming up uh, in due course. Do you think the Chinese will make an impression on racing at all? Do you think we might ever see a Chinese skier on the, on the podium, for example? Um, maybe in the future, not in Beijing. Uh, they're not close enough uh, to, to podium in Beijing. Uh, they've got uh, a guy called Viljal Tsnekna, who uh, used to uh, be the coach of the Salzburg um, regional team. Um, it was an ex-racer, a big downhiller, massive Austrian downhiller. Um, he's their coach. And I was talking to, I'm name dropping here, I was talking to Bernard Rusi about that because he'd got back from, he'd got back from China last season, uh, just before we were supposed to go to China. For the Olympic test event. And yeah. he said that Willy Belt was pulling his hair out a bit because what they'd done is they'd just taken a whole load of uh, short track speed skaters who hadn't quite made the grade, who were maybe a bit too big for short track speed skating and said, right, okay, we're teaching you to alpine ski. So they could, they could put some incredible angles over, but they just had no kind of feeling for the start of the turn at all. So that sometimes they just like lean over and just fall over. And crash, <laughs> uh, but that's kind of that's the Chinese way of doing it. Um, and if you just get enough people in the system, um, and you just keep chucking them down, and you don't mind if you hurt a few, then eventually you're going to find someone who really, you know, starting to nail it. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think we will, you know, if if, if the, the level of popularity of skiing in Ch in China increases the level it's going, then yes, we're going to see. Uh, Alpine skiers on the podium. Okay. But right now, there's a guy called um, Steve Whitaker yeah. who sent a new question, and it follows on nicely from this, Graham. He wonders if you see any other countries joining us, the, the traditional powerhouses of um, World Cup skiing. You know, obviously, we've got the Swiss, the French, um, the Austrians, um, occasionally the British. Any other countries that are going to kind of join us, do you think? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not, not really. I mean, obviously the Americans uh, and, and, you know, to a certain extent, the Canadians, um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's going to still stay. I mean, obviously, well, we've got Alice Robinson from New Zealand, but that's not unusual to have the occasional Kiwi skier appearing. Um, but just the way that, you know, the way that everything kind of, you know, works. If you look at the, if you look at the, um, the FIS ranking lists, the International Ski Federation ranking lists, and you uh, you break it down by nationality and year of birth. Uh, you can look at the number of athletes registered in their first year FIS for each different nation. And Italy is always number one. Italy always has the most ski registered. Because it's actually got the the lion's share of the Alps. It's got more, more a big chunk of ski resorts, and you know, so Italy is always up there. Austria, it's their national sport. Switzerland, it's kind of like their second or third national sport. Uh, France is a bit of an anomaly because it's got a large, you know, Alpine area, but it's a you know big country where it's it's not, and that's that's kind of one of the reasons why the French ski team have struggled, you know. Over the years, it's getting funding and fighting for their chunk out of you know a lot of other sports that, that France are good at. Um, but yeah, I can't you know maybe the Chinese, but you know, I don't see that that those you know those kind of powerhouse nations changing. I think America, America, you know, will get stronger. I think um, you know they've they've been very really really lucky with the with the likes of Lindsey Vaughan, Bodie Miller, Dan Ralves. And now Michaela Schifrin um, at producing really, really top-level skiers, but they've never really produced the strength and depth 
I think that they, they might start producing strength and depth as well because, you know, with those top top guys, you know, Schifrin, from, from Miller to Schifrin, um, there's a lot more people kind of getting into to ski racing over there. We've just had another question uh, come in from uh, Matt Hayes. He's wondering if there are any other uh, skiers or winter athletes we should know about that we might be poaching from other countries to uh, come and join uh, GB Sports. Yeah, so we had uh, Charlotte Banks, didn't we, um, from, uh, from France, or back from France. Uh, well, Daniel Yule is the obvious one to get. If we could get Daniel Yule, um, uh, this alpine skier, with Scottish parents, uh, then we'd have a really good slalom team. <laughs> um, Hang on, we're missing. Is it? Might ask this question: Is it Graham's job to go and poach people? <laughs> but it's Dan Hunt's job, isn't it? That's that. Well, oh, right. Ken, Kenworthy. Uh, Kenworthy as well. Yeah, yeah. So we've done we've done a good job so far. Um, and uh, Izzy Atkin as well. Um, you know, she, we got we approached her quite early on in her career as well. So she's she, American. Yeah, well, she grew up in America with right. I think an American dad, English mum. I think that's the way around it is. I'm not sure, but yeah. Uh, yeah so there, there, she, there she has a very good as well. I think is that right? Yes. Yeah. So there are ways and means of, uh, and then you know those, you know that that way of doing things actually does help the program. Because if we can get, uh, you know, a big name skier like Gus Kenworthy to come through and, um, and you know, it's it's going to help everyone in the, in the program and it's going to get UK Sport to fund us. And then, you know, we can then, you know, continue as well as with producing the, uh, producing the homegrown talent as well. Um, I've got a friend called Matt Badger. He claims he once sat next to you on a chairlift. Do you remember? <laughs> no? All oh, right. Well, I'll tell him that you don't. He yeah. should have had better chat, shouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, you had a helmet on, goggles. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think a Salomon jacket. I can't quite remember. Um, the Inferno, you've been, you've done that a few times, is that right? No, never done the Inferno. Or you're coming, you're going to do it. I seem to remember that was the conversation we had last time, was it? No, no, never, never can do it unless, you know, unless I don't go to Kitsville because the Inferno is always the week after the, the Lauberhorn in Bangen and, um, it would clash with, um, uh, the Hanukkah in Kitsville. So I've never, I've never witnessed it. I've never seen it. Uh, last year we sent Chemi to it for Ski Sunday, and she covered it um, on a feature for Ski Sunday. I've, I've I've seen the course, and I used to train in Murren with the Kandahar Ski Club, uh, so I've skied on that hill quite a bit. And I'd love to do it. I just don't really fancy the uphill bit. The uphill bit is <laughs> pretty brutal, and especially if it goes all the way to the finish, uh, all the way down to Lauterbrunnen. That would be really tough. I think this year it only went down to um, what's it called, Winter Egg, the the kind of the the the, 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 tr the top of the train, the top of the the, the last the, the gondola up from Lauterbrunnen. But it could. Oh, go so up. the key is to do it on a poor snow year. Yeah, and it's it's <laughs> kind of like yeah, two thirds of the length. I did notice. I know that there is a skill in the editing, but I did notice with Chemi's feature on Ski Sunday. That she must have skied it more than once because at different points she was wearing yeah. different yeah, coloured yeah, helmets. You noticed that. Yeah, no, so she did. So she did the race run uh, early and then went back up and did another run down uh, with other cameras and in order to get uh, you know enough shots. Because it's not a race that has, you know, a host broadcaster and, you know, no one else is filming it. And, and so we needed to move our cameraman around as well. Uh, and so she needed to do it twice. And I think she also got Dougie to come up. So Dougie raced as well. Uh, her husband, Dougie Crawford, who used to be on the uh, British team, uh, he raced. And he then, I think, came up and did follow cam behind her. When they did the second run down, uh, the second run wasn't—they they didn't time their second run. Is where they got all the other shots from. 
Right. I think Dougie did well enough that he's now into the um, – he's been put into the, the top seed. If he does it next year, he's got a chance of winning it because you, you never, you, you'll never win it on your first go because they, they set you off uh, – uh, the kind of the wrong times and there's a, there's an ideal time that you you need to be starting and they take the top i don't know the top 30 guys and say right okay this is the ideal time when the light is good enough because if you start too early the light's terrible if you start too late then it's too rutted so there's an ideal time of starting and they put all the quick guys in this kind of faster group and they also make sure that there's no you know slower i was going to say punters there's no slower skiers on the track as well. So there's no yeah. one that can slow you down. So everyone in that group is going fast. And I think they might even have a little bit of a course hold before they run the quick group. And, uh, yeah, so if you've got a chance of, of – if you want a chance of winning it, you've got to at least do it twice because you'll not win it on the first outing. Okay. When we're talking about ski racing, how, how much does weight pay uh... – pay um have a difference to it how you know is there a certain mass you can reach before it becomes obviously um a hindrance but well, you know this yeah, being heavier help yeah being heavier definitely does help uh because uh although gravity is a constant uh and if you were to drop a feather and a lead weight in a vacuum it would hit the ground <laughs> at the same time uh but we don't, we don't live in a vacuum uh, we live in the atmosphere, so uh, there's there's basically there's there's two forces. Uh, there's the frictional drag between you know your body and, and your, the base of your skis and the snow, and there's the aerodynamic drag of of your kind of body through the air. And you'll notice this if you're skiing with a family and you've got little kids, they always have to start straight lining a shoes like way 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 higher than the adults, and they still don't make it across the flat. They just don't make it across the flat because they don't have the momentum. Uh, they don't have the same mass to carry them across um, the, you know, and, and yeah, so you need to be big, um, but you don't, you can't be too big because you've also got to hold that force up through the turns. And so you, when you go through the turns, you're generating, you know, centrifugal force and you're having to hold up with a centripetal force. And the bigger you are, the more you're having to work uh, through the turns. So, there is a kind of optimum weight for each racer. Uh, it's interesting, really, that, uh, you know, obviously downhill is, is the one where you need to be, you know, by being big and heavy, it's an advantage. But if you look at Biat Foyts, who's the best downhill in the world right now, uh, he's not tall, uh, but he is quite round. You know, he is fairly heavy. And, you know, he's <laughs> got a bit of a belly on him um, because he wants that extra... And he needs that extra. Watch out, Graham. You could be tuning in right now. <laughs> yeah. No, I think Biat would be the first to admit it that, you know, he, uh, you know he's athletic, uh, but he does have, you know, he needs to carry a little bit extra weight. And the only way you can do that, you know, as well as putting on as much muscle as he, as he has, but he's also got a bit of a, you know, a bit of a gut as well. And uh, it's, it's funny now that... Um, it, it all depends. Like, it's a different courses that will that will help. But Biat Foyt seems to do well on every single course, so it doesn't seem to matter whether it's a, a fast gliding course or a, you know a technical course. Uh, you know he's he's up there with everyone. The only thing that is probably his weakest point is if the start is flat. He's not got a very good start when it comes to you know pushing and, and skating out along a, fl a flatter start. Um, and when they raced the world championships in Samaritz, and that was the race that Biat was you know, destined to win, uh, because the weather was bad, they brought the start down. Instead of going off down the free fall section, they brought the start down to the lowered start. And it was a flat start. And he must have lost about four tenths of a second on the start. But he made it back up and he won the race. But it was a close run thing. And uh, yeah, so yeah, we talk about. Yeah, so it does help to be bigger in downhill. Um, the faster you go, though, uh, the more that drag plays in, uh, uh, and, and your drag coefficient plays a, a part because uh, your drag is uh, a square of your speed. So drag equals a square of your speed. So the faster you go, the more drag uh, comes into account. 
So once you start going over 100 miles an hour and you start speed skiing, then the most important thing is your is your drag coefficient, is how, you know, the position that you can adopt. And uh, uh, the faster you go, that, that becomes more and more and more important. So when I went to the Speed Ski World Championships, uh, for example, I was forerunning for high altitude. Uh, when we started from the lowest start, the very first start, and we were doing around about 90 miles an hour, I was quicker than most of the women. I think there was one of them that was quicker than me. And as we moved up, and that's what you do when you're speed skiing, so you start low and then you go up and go up 100 meters and then go again and you, you go, you know, 10 miles an hour quicker. The faster we got, and when we got up to around about 120 miles an hour, I was getting beaten by, you know, 10 of the, of the women, uh, the best women in the world. And what we did was, because I was quite interested in why and on how, because some of them are really light, um, we, out, we overlaid um, two, rate, two tracks down with, with the fastest woman and, and me, and I set off, and I actually accelerate quicker than she does, and she's kind of behind me, behind me. I get to the first beam first, the first timing section first, cross the 100 meters first, but because she's still accelerating, although she's kind of 55 kilos, and I'm, you know, I was 90 kilos, she's still accelerating. She, she goes through the beam a good 10 kilometers an hour faster than I did. Um, but if it was a ski race, I would have won because I got to the finish first. So that's the difference between speed skiing and ski racing. So there we right. go. Very, very long answer. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move, move on to a slightly different piece of you mentioned some of the, the wipe or the crashes that uh, you've seen on the slopes. Um, the jump was uh, uh, very popular in this household uh, TV program that we watched. After your science lesson, I'm going to try uh, my uh, teacher thing again and see if I can uh, share my screen because um, I got I found a, a little bit uh, of the jump um, to show. Hopefully, this will can work. we afford to show this? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I think we'll stop that there. We get the idea. Sadly, the jump went off our screens. It's hard to see why when you uh, when you look at that. Um, I guess, uh, you know, it was just like a, a constant list of people getting uh, getting injured. Now, I, I've got lots of interested uh, questions about it. I just wondered, purely from a skiing point of view, like who was the who was the best skier you came across? The fastest learner out of all those celebrities who uh, who tried it. Um... There were some pretty good skiers there um, that got good in the end. Um, fastest learner. Um, Jason Robinson was a very quick learner. Um, yeah, I mean, generally the sports people, uh, you could teach them very quickly and they would get very good very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what about, what about the from the who was who was completely useless oh that's the easiest one um uh the that probably the hardest to teach was 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 linford christie because um he basically doesn't have the flexion in his his ankles and his and his hips uh yeah to be able to actually to, to get into the position where he can speak uh, you know, I think he's got minus one degree flexion in, in, in his ankles because he runs right. he's on his toes all of his life and, and he still trains and he still looks incredible. Uh, he's got like 5% body fat, but he has, he just doesn't have the flexibility to be able to kind of get into those positions. And so he was very difficult to, uh, to coach just purely by a physiological um, you know, point. There was a few that were difficult to coach because of psychological barriers, but we we'll probably won't go into them right now. <laughs> well, you're, very, you're welcome to. I mean, I guess it was fun off the slopes as well. There was um, 
some hardcore partying going on? Yeah, there was for some of the some, some series. Some yeah, it was like it's funny. It was a great experiment in group dynamics as well because it's the first time I've really kind of worked on a show like that. Um, because I've always done Ski Sunday, and we've always been a team of kind of seven people, you know, out filming. Yeah. There's probably not more than you know a dozen on the whole team. You know, there's there would be more people in 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 hair and makeup uh, on the jump than there would be on all of Ski Sunday. Um, <laughs> but because you've never actually been on, um, uh, you've never been a contestant on a proper reality show yourself, have you? The closest I ever got to it was Superstars, uh, which is not oh, really. Yeah. And not really kind of reality TV, but I did Superstars back in uh, in two thousand and three. Yeah, I remember that, and and uh, I can tell, I I think I'm right in saying you did pretty well in that. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was really happy with my result in that. I got to the final, uh, which is kind of my goal, and it was I was in there with Alan Baxter and Dwayne Dejo and Jamie Bolsh, and I ended up fourth behind those three. Um, yeah. I was the best placed non-current athlete, which I was really yeah. happy. And you, was your brother in it as well? You beat your brother? Yeah, I beat my brother in the heats. So he didn't make it out of the, of the kind of the first heats. He didn't make the final. Um, so, yeah, so that was – so I'd never really kind of experienced um, that big reality TV uh, kind of experience. And, you know, you've got on, – uh, on the jump, we would have, you know, almost 200 people in Innsbruck uh, when we were filming live and we had live weekends. You know, all bring all the cameramen out there, had all the execs, all the celebs, you know, all the VT editors. You know, there was like this huge kind of community that was kind of that was descended on Innsbruck for uh, for for you know the you know, eight weeks or whatever it was. Matt Matt Hayes has asked a question. He wants to know who was the biggest party animal on the jump. Oh, I quite like drinking with Spencer Matthews. He was a good, uh, <laughs> good one. Um, Brian McFadden. Uh, he was a good, a big drinker. Um, <laughs> I thought, Graham, you're quite competitive. I thought you were going to say that that was me. I was the biggest party animal. <laughs> you was going to claim it for yourself. All oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Not me. I didn't go. I didn't. Have the problem I had is that I wasn't there all the time, so I could come, come in and come out because I was doing Ski Sunday at the same time. Uh, so I would kind of flit in and flit out and I would hear stories of what had gone on while I wasn't around. And, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> some of the incidents is, uh, I missed, but I obviously heard about, but, uh, yeah, there was a bit of that going on, but it, it varied each year. And, um, it depended on who the strong characters were because you've got, you know, you've got a group like that and strong characters will make them make themselves heard and will kind of lead. But if the strong characters have got a negative personality and they've got a negative influence on the group, then the whole group kind of goes down with them. Uh, whereas some years you'd have a strong personality who was a real positive influence on the group and they would lift everyone and support everyone. And, you know, I've got to say, um, uh, Mike Tyndall was one of those characters that really lifted right. everyone and supported everyone in the group. And, you know, a very positive character and, you know, a real team player as well. He was, you know, really interested in make, making sure that everyone, you know, got the best out of themselves. Can I ask you this question? Um, let's be honest, quite a lot of the time, the, the, the final result was almost a bit of a shambles in terms of someone had hurt themselves, someone else came in and then they won and all that sort of stuff. Was there people really trying to win or did they know this is a lot of fun? I'm really enjoying myself. Well, no, no, they definitely, they were trying to win. I mean, um, uh, Spencer won the last one, didn't he? Um, and he really wanted to win because uh, <laughs> he had to beat um, uh, what was the gymnast? Uh, oh, Louis Smith. Uh, yeah, Louis Smith. And Louis Smith was jumping really, really well, and was basically and another one of these guys that was really easy to coach. Always, always there on time. Always kind of like um, would do, you know, just take instructions so well. Whereas Spencer sometimes would be hungover, sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he'd be kind of like, um, you know, paying attention. Other times he wouldn't. But what Spencer had that that Lewis Smith didn't was that Spencer was willing to take the risks, and he was literally going to either end up in hospital or win. And that's basically what he said to me before he went up to do the final. <laughs> you 
He said, I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely go for it on this one because it's either, it's either I win or I'm in hospital. I said, that's the attitude. Take that to the start. And he won. And is that why it wasn't recommissioned then? Because, uh, you know, ultimately too many people hurting themselves. I'm not sure. I mean, we had one or two really bad injuries. Beth Treadle was the worst, uh, a training injury where she cracked a vertebrae in her neck. Um, but to be fair, um, and it's no worse than Shemi has done, and quite a few of the British ski racers have, have fractured vertebrae in their neck. That kind of it goes with the territory. Um, uh, Tina Hobley uh, tore her ACL and really broke her elbow quite badly. Uh, so there were a few there were a few nasty injuries. There was lots of little niggly injuries. That to be fair, you know, broken hand wouldn't stop most ski racers from just carrying on they just take the ski pole into the doctors with you and get them to make a cast around uh, around your ski pole i think i think there was you know there was a few reasons why it was shelved because it was never officially cancelled they, they shelved yeah. um i think that um that brexit didn't help uh because the brexit i knew it the pound the pound <laughs> went down against the against the euro and so suddenly everything became more expensive to film out in in uh, in Austria. That was, you know, maybe one of the contributing factors because ultimately it comes down to the bottom line. Um, you know, it's a commercial um, you know operation, and they want viewing figures. And you know, it comes down to the amount of advertising that they can sell versus you know how much it costs to make the program. And if that if those figures don't add up, then that's when things get get shelved. And you know maybe that was the that was the case. Um, you know, Channel Four were uh, at the time pushing and and had put a lot of money into into Paralympic sport as well. So they had the Olympic Games in in uh, Pyeongchang uh, the year that it got uh, or the year before it got canned. So they were going to focus on that instead. Um, who knows? Dancing on Ice came back. So maybe they just thought, well, we can't compete with Dancing on Ice. I don't know. It, was, it wasn't because you wouldn't go off the jump, right? I went off the jump in the first couple of series. And then because there were so many injuries and insurance was, uh, was so uh, uh, kind of uh, expensive uh, that I would, it, it, apparently it would have cost five grand for me to go off a 20 meter ski jump. You know, I was like, do they not know what I do on every Saturday? Yeah. You know, I go off the, you know, the yeah. mountain fella, I'll fly for 30 meters with a camera in my hand. And, but yeah. Um, Davina was just going off it all the time, wasn't she? She loved it. Couldn't stop yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it was a, it was a great show. And I think it was really good for, I mean, although there were lots of injuries, I think it was really good for kind of, uh, for winter sports to have that kind of uh, publicity. Um you know, now now the only winter sport we have is is dancing on ice. That's, uh, but you know, the the jump was kind I don't of count as a sport. It had well, it had all it, it had. You know, we did we did some ice skating in series one. We did speed skating. Um, yeah, I thought yeah, I thought it was you know great for uh, you know for snow sports. Well, all thing all good things come to an end. Um, a bit like this. Um... This podcast, this live podcast is going to have to end very soon. Just as I hear the credits rolling, you've got a friend in me is playing and the children are getting restless. Graham, Ian, have you got any more questions um, before we leave? Graham, Bell here? No, no, you know, I don't think so. I mean, if you can answer kind of quickly, will we see Ski Sunday back this winter? Well, I hope so. If we've got ski racing, uh, there's a big decision coming up on the 1st of July. So the International Ski Federation are talking to the race organisers of the World Championships in Cortina. Uh, Cortina have asked if they can postpone yes. the World Championships um, into 2022, which I think is virtually impossible because there's the Beijing Olympics in 2022. Um, but there will be some kind of wranglings and behind the scenes going on. And uh, yeah, the 1st of July, there's going to be an announcement about the World Championships. Okay. Uh, should set the tone. But I think that International Ski Federation will be looking at ways of, of, of holding the races, um, whether they end up just staying in Europe and they don't do any races in North America. So there's no international travel so that everyone can just get in their vans and drive around uh, yeah. might be one way of doing it. But I think that 
you know, if there's ski racing, then I hope Ski Sunday will be out there covering it. Yep. Well, we, uh, smashing. Oh, and uh, my friend Matt Badger just got back to me. He said he was wearing red ski trousers. Does that help? <laughs> the old red trousers. Yeah. Yeah. Old red trouser Matt. Now you remember him. Right then. Thank you very much, Graham. Ian, nice to see you as always. Thank you, everyone who tuned in. Um, this will be also uh, put out as a normal podcast. Yeah. See you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.